just to kind of sit on that a second, when you read the book of Hebrews, it really lays out what Jesus did on the cross and how Hebrews says that it did what no other sacrifice could have done. In fact, for thousands of years, they would slaughter animals at least daily and then weekly. And then once a year, they would do it for all the sins of the people. But Jesus came because he was perfect man and he gave his own life. And it says that 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 blood helped cover your sin, past, present, future. So when you sing about the blood of Jesus, it's not just a picture of him on the cross. It's that his literal blood paid a price that was due. Like there was no other way around it. It was either your blood or his. And he said he would pay for it. And so I just want to encourage you, don't let that just slip by. Don't let tradition or religion make that stale or dry as if it doesn't matter. And there wasn't a real person who gave his real life. It, I mean, this is real. It's as real as the seat in front of you or the seat behind you that you would sit on. I mean, this stuff is so real. So when we sing it, it has to be real in your own heart. Otherwise, it feels distant feels kind of like you're at arm's length with God, and that's not how God wants you to live life. It's just for this thing to kind of be some abstract thing that you don't really understand. No, he wants you to understand that Jesus was a real man who gave his real life. And so when we celebrate Thanksgiving, and now we're coming into Christmas season, we, we celebrate the fact that he came for a very real purpose. So when he was born, he came, later on, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost, which was you and me. So, Father, I pray that this understanding would really come into our hearts, that it wouldn't be distant, it wouldn't be dry, it wouldn't be tradition, it wouldn't just be about decorations and trees and lights and things that really are superfluous if we don't understand the value of what really happened when Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us. So Lord, I pray that you'd open up our ears, open up our hearts to hear from you today. If you agree, would you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Why don't you do this before you're seated? Turn to a couple of people, give them a hug, give them a high five, welcome them to church. And then you may be seated. And I'm actually going to have all the youth stay up here with us this morning, if that's all right. And if you would, I want everybody to grab your Bible. This is going to be so good. And as you grab your Bible, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Anybody want more turkey? Should we all go out to eat afterwards and order turkey? Turkey and gravy. Anybody not have turkey? Like you're just a ham-only kind of family? or Oh, come on, Sam. You didn't have turkey? You had both. Okay, he had ham. Really good. Well, we had a great Thanksgiving, too. I hope you really were able to enjoy and took some time, like we talked about last week, just to thank God for what he's done, at least thank him for something in your own life. And I'm going to continue on. We're going to really turn into something uh, of a similar topic, but a little different. And I want to talk about worship for the next few weeks. Um, Jeff mentioned it earlier, but I really do think Christmas season is a lot about worship. 
a lot of it's about worship. It is about what Jesus originally came and his mission on planet Earth, but we really get into that, I think, in the Easter season. But in Christmas, and, and we're not going to get into the Christmas story today. We'll probably do that in the next few weeks. But in Christmas, this Christmas story, you do see that people's original reaction when they realized who this baby was, they re responded with worship. But I really want to go way back. And in fact, if you'll go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, I want to talk about the posture of worship. And I'm going to just lay out only a few because we could have gone through a lot, but I'm going to just go through a few through a few scriptures of what worship looked like, even from the Old Testament, and we'll see it even in the New Testament. Um, that is truly a posture. It's not just, well, I worship in my heart, though it does affect your heart, but it's also a physical thing. And you'll see this a lot of times throughout the Old Testament, but I'm going to read from John chapter 4 while you get to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. John chapter 4, verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers, this is Jesus talking, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. And so I want to talk about, out of Second Chronicles, something that really caught my attention because I saw actually in the book of Genesis and I saw in the book of Exodus and I've seen it in other places, but there's this posture that happens when people begin to worship God. And I want to go to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon had finished praying, Fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, catch this, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Then the king, who was Solomon, and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. <laughs> so the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. But I want you to catch this verse in verse 3 where it says, When all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement. They bowed their faces. They bowed their faces. They bowed their faces. And something that I caught in many scriptures when it came to worship is it really couples this fact of they bowed their head or they bowed their faces and worshiped. They bowed their head or they bowed their faces and worshiped. And I really had never caught that before until I started studying for this a worship. So I didn't actually plan to go this direction when I was thinking about worship. Um, I, I thought we would talk more about raising hands and clapping hands and all these other different postures that I think we see in modern day. But when I really started to look into things of, uh, how in ancient times they would worship, they would bow, they would bow their head. And a lot of our modern worship is more like this, which I don't have a problem with, but I noticed there's something about when you bow your head 
it acknowledges that I'm in the presence of someone who's greater than I am. And so I felt like that's where we need to start, is that there's something about this posture of worship that acknowledges that God is greater than I am. And I don't know how, even you can relate to God if you don't get that truly down in your soul. Of course that God's real, but you gotta start there, I suppose. But really, it's once you realize that he's real, then you have to realize he is greater than you. He is greater than you. And when you, if you were to come into the presence of modern day royalty, let's say of a king or a queen, or even somebody that you really respect, you probably would change your posture. If, if you're a humble person, you would change your posture. You would be more attuned to something that would respect and bring reverence to them. You wouldn't like just hang out in the back of your chair and just kick your feet up. No, like in fact, a lot of us know this, that there are certain situations when a certain person enters the room, you stand. You know, like in, in the in, in the United States, if the president of the United States comes into a room, everyone stands. No one sits. And that's protocol. If you were to go into to England and the queen were to come and you were to greet the queen, men would just bow their head and then women would curtsy. Why? Because there's something of a reverence. There's an acknowledgement of who that person is. Well, how much more so if it's the God of the universe to acknowledge him in such a way that's appropriate to his level of greatness. So if the queen of England is due like men just kind of nodding their head or bowing their head, what is God worth who's the king of the universe? <laughs> and most of us just want to be like, I don't want to move at all. I don't even want to change my posture at all. And yet that's not appropriate when his presence is here. Just like it wouldn't be appropriate if a true king or queen of, of our modern day were here. How much more if you know like God's presence is here when we praise him. In fact, that's, that's very scriptural that when you praise the Lord that wherever two or three are gathered together in his name that he's there in the midst like he's here. You say, well, I don't see him. It's not about whether you see him. It's just truth. He is here because he promised he would be there. He committed that he would be there. So if he is here, then we have to be sensitive to him and acknowledge like he's in charge. He's the king. He's the one that I'm going to bow my head to. So there's something really significant about this that I feel like um, if your heart is open, that you'll hopefully catch this by the time we're done today, that when you come into a posture of worshiping God from here on out, part of that posture will be something of a bowing. Whether you get on your knees and bow or you just bow your head, but something that says, in fact, by the time we're done, we'll sing that song, Come Let Us Adore Him, and we're going to just practice it. It's a little hard to sing with your head bowed, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is that we would come and our body would represent something that our heart needs to catch. And sometimes your heart will follow your body. So you just need to do it and allow your heart to catch up because you I don't feel like it. Well, at the moment, it doesn't really matter how you feel about it. He's king. 
<laughs> like he's king, whether you feel like he's king today or not, or whether you feel like acknowledging that or not. And so these people, this is what happened. So Solomon, by the way, really was set up by his father, David, because David was like a worshiper of worshipers. The dude knew how to worship. But in this moment, this was so much more real because God filled this temple, this place of worship with his presence. And it was so strong and it was so evident that everybody bowed their faces and everybody worshiped. Nobody stayed still. Nobody just stayed, well, I don't know about this. No, no, no. It was overwhelming and they couldn't help but just fall on their faces. This happened in other instances. If you read in Exodus chapter 40, there was a time where Moses, once he had dedicated and had consecrated really the tabernacle, it's the same kind of thing happened. The glory of God filled the tabernacle and all the, the priests couldn't minister anymore. They just fell on their faces. Why? Because when God really shows up, you let go of control. You just, you can't move. Why? Because he's king. He's king. There's something overwhelming about that. There's something powerful about that. There's something that causes you to realize he's holy. He's unlike anything else on planet earth. And when you really look at the places where God would get upset with the children of Israel, it's when they would bow to other gods. So they would go over here and bow to other gods, but they wouldn't bow to him. They wouldn't yield their will to him, but yet they'd come over here and yield their will to these false idols, these little figurines, these things that were, there was no life in them. And yet, because they had gotten mixed up in other religions and they had married into other cultures, they came in and they would bow and God would be angry with them. Why? Because he's like, I'm the only king. I'm the only God. I'm the only God. You're not supposed to bow to anything else. You're not supposed to give your will or give your honor or give your, your allegiance to anyone else. I'm the only one. So when you come and have this posture of worship, you yield to him. This is not a style thing. This is not about yielding to, in our instances, pastors Jeff and Angela or to me. Like this is about him. This is about what does scripture say that he responds to or how we respond to him. So I really want to press through on this because I, I, I foresee over the next few weeks a change in how we corporately worship together. And we're going to press in. Why? Because he's real. And I, I'm, I'm just not interested in just kind of placating to him. It's like, no, no, we're going to press in because I believe he is, he, he wants to come and fill this the place that we're at right now with his glory. You say, well, what is his glory? Well, his glory really means his goodness, his evident presence. In that time, it would come like a cloud. It would be like a visual, like a visible cloud. It would just settle in. And how do I explain that? I don't know. I've never seen it. I have seen people who've seen it. And I've seen like where I am like, I've been in atmospheres where I thought, is that the fog machine or is that God? Like, I don't know. <laughs> But there is such a presence that comes where you just know he's here. And I have been in that many, many times where it was just so heavy. And I tell you, many times when I am in that kind of presence, I'll get on my knees. Not if I feel like it. It's just I just know that's what you do. When God shows up, you 
pause. <laughs> you get on your knees and you bow. I want to show you a couple ins other instances where this happened. Exodus chapter 4. This happened with the children of Israel when Aaron and Moses had spoken to the people. Exodus chapter 4, verse 30. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. And he did the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed. Catch that. So the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshiped. So their head followed their belief. Did you catch that? Their head followed what they believed. Like when you believe that God has visited you, that God is real, that he's at work in your life, you yield. You'll, you'll, you're not just your head, but even your heart will follow where you'll bow your head to him and you'll acknowledge him and you'll worship him. You'll worship him. And, and there's this worship that comes that's now from your heart. It's not just something traditional or religious. They believed that God had been now answered their cries and their affliction and now he has sent a deliverer and they bowed their heads and worshiped you know in this very similar sense when you know jesus has come and he's our deliverer and he's our savior it's not that hard just to bow your head and worship just to say thank you just to acknowledge him i i really think this is part of the life of, of a, a true believer not a traditional religious, like, oh, I'm a Christian because my parents brought me to church, and so I've kind of made this my tradition to show up on Sundays. No, a true believer has no problem bowing their head and worshiping God. Why? Because they believe. They believe. They believe. They were taught something that they didn't know before, just like these people. These people had heard words from Aaron and Moses, they now saw signs that confirmed that God was working with them. And once they heard that and they believed that, it said that they, and that the Lord had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads, they bowed their heads, they bowed their heads and worshiped. I'm gonna encourage us as we move forward, make part of our worship time, you bow your head. I'm not talking about the whole time where it's like you get a crick in your neck, but there should be a point in worship where you just, bow your head. You just bow. You just, you just take a posture of saying, God, I, I believe you. I believe in you. I believe that you're at work here. Exodus chapter 34, a few chapters over. Verse five says, now the Lord descended into the cloud and stood with him. This is Moses. Stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses, listen, made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. This is a constant response of people who encounter God. They bow their head and they worship. They bow their head and they worship. And we'll get to another weeks how there's a difference where it says they bow their head and worshiped. But I noticed scripture put this first. That it's put that they bowed their heads 
and they worshiped. Not they worshiped with no detail. No, no, they bowed their head and they worshiped. And I really do think this is going to be something that changes your heart as you change your posture. This will be something that changes your heart as you change your posture. See, it's very hard to be religious when you look good or when, when, when you don't look as good. Like, in other words, I've seen a lot of religious services where everyone looks good and everyone looks put together and everyone keeps their, their poise and nothing is out of order, nothing is out of place, every, and, and, and yet there's no true worship because it's manufactured. It's man I've been in pastor's meetings where it's like that. So it's not about whether who, who you're with. I've been in meetings where it's, and, and, and church services where it's like, I don't know if anybody's really worshiping here. Why? Because everyone is more concerned about the look of it, the sound of it, the, posh, the poise of it, and the excellence of it. And it's like, but no one bows their head. No one yields their will to God's will. And I'm not talking about lip service, that, that's just all the outward appearance. But it has to be both and, not either or. Your body and your heart have to be one together, and, and, and you got to have both. So I know for me, one of the, the ways, and this is a little different than bowing your head, but one of the ways that I truly like to just yield to the Lord is I just lift my hands. And we'll get into this in another week, but Scripture so many times says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. That's scripture. So for, if, for no other reason that I lift my hands is because the Bible says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. So if for no other reason, I do it. Not because I have more energy or I'm more Pentecostal or I'm more charismatic and that's our tradition. No, 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 because I read the Bible and it said, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Okay, no problem. In like kind though, I never saw this about bowing the head. I never saw that. And I'm telling you, if you just look through the scripture, you will see throughout scripture, like I'm talking about dozens of times where bowing the head and worship go hand in hand. Way more than lifting hands, way more than shouting, way more than anything. This bowing is a big deal. And I just, I'm like, where do we lose this? Even in my own heart, I'm like, Lord, I haven't taken this posture as often as I need to because it, it, that's real worship. And it makes me know, okay, I'm bowing to you, but I won't bow to any other God, none. Like no matter what happens on planet Earth, it won't happen. In fact, maybe we'll get to it in one of the coming weeks, but you'll remember the story of Daniel. Do y'all remember Daniel? And Daniel and his friends were basically told they had to bow to this other God. And that's where we get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the being thrown into the furnace is because they wouldn't bow to the God that King Nebuchadnezzar had said that they had to bow to, this carved image. And when they didn't, they got thrown in the fire and there was a fourth man, Jesus, who was in the fire with them and they weren't burned and they didn't even smell like smoke. But they were tested of, are you going to bow to something other than the God of Israel. Now they pass the test, but I, in our own life, there are so many temptations to bow to other things, to yield to other things, to give your allegiance to other things, to 
compromise with other things. And it's like, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. So Moses in Exodus chapter 34, because he had so encountered God, it says he made haste and he bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. In other words, while God was still there, God still passing by, he made it a point to get his forehead to the ground. He made it a hit. He made it a point like I'm going to get as low as I can so that you Lord know that I understand my place. Like that that's part of this heart thing is it's like Lord I'm going to get as low as possible so that you know that I know my place. And see, at this time, Moses was by himself. This wasn't a show. This wasn't for anybody else. This was him and the Lord. So some of us, we need to get in our own homes. And as God's presence comes, like just bow before him. Just get face to the floor. You should have a little imprint right here of your carpet or whatever you got. No, but there's a, there's a true relationship that will connect. I, I encourage you, if you have felt distant from the Lord, this will change it. If you have wondered if God is real, this will change it. You start worshiping God like this and he will show up. I'm, I'm guaranteeing it 100%. Why? Because it always happens in scripture. When people truly give true worship to God, he shows up. He is faithful. He's not trying to, to, to hold out on you or hide out on you. No, no, no. When you get right before him and you take that posture, he will show up and you invite him. It's so powerful. Psalm 95 says this in verse six. David obviously wrote it. He said, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. This was a king writing this. A king said, we bow before him. We kneel before him. We don't stand in the, his presence. And this was a king. If anybody had maybe the temptation to get off track and to not, under, to, to not acknowledge God in the fullness that he should, it, was, it would have been a king like David. And David was the greatest king of Israel. And yet he said, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is our God. In other words, he's saying, listen, he's our God. This is, why do you kneel? Why do you bow? Because he's our God. And we are his people, the people of his pasture. In other words, we belong to him. This isn't just a king of the universe in general. No, we are his people. Like it, this would be like, um, you know, if you and I were to go to England, that's not our queen. You may have a lot of affection for her or you may, you may love her, but she's not yours and you're not her people, right? So there's a distance, there's a disconnect that's not gonna really make much sense. So you could come and bow and curtsy and all that and it would be, okay, fine. But there's no jurisdiction there. But David is saying, no, no, but with our God, there is jurisdiction, we're his people, he is our king. He is our God. Psalm chapter 99 verse 5 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. You know, I was reading this and it says it in other passages about us worshiping at his footstool. 
you know, the picture that I get is that, of course, the foot sole is something that would be at his feet down low. So David, when he says, come worship at his footstool, it's, you're not standing eyeball to eyeball. You're getting low. You're coming down to God's footstool. In other words, you're so in awe of him, you just come low down and you just worship there at his feet. It, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's a beautiful picture that I hope we'll get to. But remember the woman who, when Jesus, before he was, was crucified, she came just not long before and she anointed his feet with oil. She, in fact, she took very costly oil and she broke it open. In other words, it wasn't gonna be able to be used for anything else. She used it all on Jesus's feet and she anointed his feet with this oil. And it so moved Jesus because this woman, in fact, she didn't just anoint it with her hands. It says that she took her hair and she used her hair to rub it on his feet. That's the, that's the picture I get when I look at Psalm chapter 99, where it says, come worship at his footstool. Like take such a place of humility and worship and gratitude that you have no problem getting low down there. You have no problem if, 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 if it's gotta be down, down just just like this, and you just get down low, like you, there's no pretense, there's no um, trying to be something great or haughty or trying to hold your dignity. It's like, no, 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 come let us worship at his footstool. Remember, there were the two disciples who, they asked Jesus if they could sit, one at his right, one at his left hand. And Jesus said, if you wanna be greatest, you're gonna have to be the, Servant of all, right? In other words, they were trying to be equals. I mean, really, like you're going to sit on one on each side. So you're going to sit in a very similar kind of seat and we're going to be eyeball to eyeball. And that's just not, that's not the picture that scripture paints for us as our place. Our place is at the footstool. Our place is low. Our place is somewhat unseen. It's just right there. Come exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool for he is holy. I just think about that for one second. Who else would you give that kind of honor to? Like who else would you give that kind of honor to where you would bow so low you'd get on your face? Nobody, no one, but yet because he's holy, you ought to do it for him. You ought to do it for him. He's holy. And we haven't even gotten down to what he's done for you. If he hadn't done anything for you, this would still be appropriate because he wouldn't be any less holy and he wouldn't be any less worthy. This would be appropriate. David wrote this before Jesus ever stepped foot on this planet. Now catch, like for real, catch this. These scriptures that I've read so far happened before Jesus had ever stepped foot on this planet. So in other words, they felt like it was appropriate to worship God before salvation had ever come to planet earth. They only had hope of salvation. They, had, they didn't see real salvation. <laughs> like, like if they could worship 
with this kind of intensity and they could see the goodness of God so explicitly that they were willing to get on their face, get willing to bow head to pavement off of what they saw more as a hope than, as a, than more than a present reality, then surely those of us who know Jesus has come to planet Earth for us can give him worship that's really worthy of him. David said this, and Jesus had never come. Psalm chapter 29, verse 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Catch that. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. The glory due his name. Not at the level of your comfort. It's at the level of what he's due. It's not about whether this is a comfortable or uncomfortable. This is about, he's worthy of it. It is due him. I want to just switch back to John chapter 4 as we close, because in John chapter 4, this is where Jesus again is talking about the hours coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such. He's looking for them to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When you look at this word worship that's used in John chapter 4, it literally means to incline the face to the ground. That's This word worship that I just read in John chapter 4 literally means to incline the face to the ground, to prostrate oneself before someone as an act of reverence, fear, or supplication to prostrate oneself before someone as an act of reverence, fear, or supplication. And obviously when you're worshiping someone, that's reverence. That's reverence. That's giving them, you're revering who they are, but you're inclining your face to the ground. I never caught that before. I never caught that worship really was about the posture of coming lower than him. I'd never seen that before. I, 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 and I'm being honest, I've studied and I thought I've heard teachings on worship and maybe I have heard this somewhere. But as I was really studying about worship, I realized this posture is all throughout scripture. And here we find it once again in Job chapter four, where God's talking about true worship in spirit and truth. And we'll get, about, we'll get into the spirit part. But true worship literally means to incline your face to the ground. Like you come, you, you come lower. So if you come into a worship service here and you don't go lower than when you walked in, you didn't really worship. If, and I'm not just talking about physically. I'm talking about your body and your heart don't come lower than when, it first, when you first walked in. Then you didn't really worship because true worship means you incline yourself. You go down for him. And that posture will bring the presence of God like no other. Why? Because you're truly in your own life making him king. You're acknowledging him as king. You're saying, you are God, I'm not. I'm not trying to be co-equal with you. I'm not trying to come in here and say, well, who's going to sit on his right hand? Who's going to sit on his left hand? Like those disciples. No, you're, you're... saying, you're God, I'm not, so I'm not even gonna try to compete with this. 
And most people would say, oh, of course I know he's God. But yet, if you won't bow to him in any way, shape, or form, then I don't know that you truly yet have caught that he is God. That he is God. That he is holy. That there, there's no way to even comprehend how great he is. There's no other example on planet Earth that we could use to explain the greatness of God. Our words truly do come up short. Our words really do fail to talk about his magnificence and his greatness and his wonder and, and his majesty. Like our words come so short and yet our heart and our head still have to bow. And to say that like, and you're, you are our God. And we choose to take this posture of worship. We choose, we choose to. We choose to. I'm asking every person in this room to make the choice to worship God like this. That if nothing else, you just, when we start to worship, you just, at least for a few seconds to a moment, bow your head. Some you may bow over. Some you may get on the ground. Whatever physically you can do. Do it so that your heart understands in the moment that God is real and he is holy and there's nobody like him. Are y'all catching this? Let me catch eyes with everybody. Are y'all catching it? Because I'm asking you to let God speak this to you. Show it to you to where you say yes, especially if you're younger, like young people. There's gonna be a lot of temptation to question whether God's real. Yeah, there's going to be temptation. I don't know. I don't know about this. You start to choose to say, you know what? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him the benefit of the doubt for right now. In other words, you're just going to maybe put some of the doubts over here. And you just start to bow your own head and worship. He will come into your life. You will sense him. You will know him. He will confirm his, his um, reality by his presence. But if you come in, and you don't want to yield, and you don't want to stand when we say stand, and you don't want to bow your head when we say bow your head, and you don't want to lift your hands, then don't be shocked when you don't sense his presence. Because this is how you interact with a king and with our God. This is how it works. One of the things that God would say with his um, people when they wouldn't yield to him is he would call them stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. What's a stiff-necked? I won't bow my head. Mm -mm. I won't yield to you. I won't listen to what you're saying. If you have a two- or three-year-old, well, you, know, you know exactly what stiff-necked is because you try to put them in a high chair, and what do they do? They go like a board on you, and you can't, like you're just doing everything trying to get them into the seat, right? And they're just as stiff as a board. That's the picture of when you get stiff-necked. You just, what do you do? You just literally stiffen your neck and you're like, I am become, it's, it's rebellious really, but I will not yield to what you're saying. But I just think it's interesting that God called him stiff-necked and the very thing that would have 
brought grace and mercy from God into their situation is if they would have bowed their head to him. The opposite of stiff-necked, they would have just yielded. They would have said, you're right, I'm wrong. It's your way, not my way. Jesus said it like this, your will, not my will. All of that happens in worship. All of that happens in worship. Worship is one of the most humbling things that you and I could do. It's one of the most humbling things that you and I can do. Why? Because it goes up against everything that we have been taught in our culture. It's, it, it goes against all of that. It's very countercultural. And yet worship, you'll come into his presence and you bow your head and you say, God, you're God, I'm not. What are you doing? You're telling your own soul you're not in charge. God's in charge. You're telling that flesh side of you that's like, I don't want to do that. You're telling that side of you, you're not in charge. God's in charge. That is what happens when you just do the simple act of you bow your head and you say, God, I worship you. I worship you. And in fact, in that moment, you say, I don't worship any other God. I don't worship any other person. I don't worship any other relationship. No one else do I worship but you, Lord. So I want us to do this. If Jeff and Angela, y'all will come and just, in a second we'll sing, come let us adore him. I'm going to ask all of us to stand to our feet if we would. And as you stand to your feet, why don't you just close your eyes right where you're at and allow your heart to go ahead and just begin to do what your head in a moment is going to do, which is just to yield and to humble. Because we're going to enter into true worship. True worship. True yielded worship. True worship that acknowledges this is God who is holy, who is king, who is to be revered, who is to be bowed to, yielded to, unlike any other thing or person on this planet. So I want us to sing this song, just starting to come let us adore him. And I'm going to ask that every head at least would incline toward the earth or you could take, you can bow on your knees if you'd like to, but at least your head just bow to him and let's sing this together. Oh, come let us adore him. <laughs> 